Good morning. Welcome to each and every one of you on this fourth Sunday after Pentecost and on this wonderful Father's Day. We are grateful for all our fathers and all of the men who have been like fathers to us. Welcome and thank you. This morning we will also be recognizing our graduates. We are delighted that they are here with us and that we are able to celebrate their achievements and also the new chapters of their lives. Thank you for being here. Will you please stand for the call to worship? Let us unite our hearts and voices. Heavenly Father, you entrusted your son Jesus, the child of Mary, to the care of Joseph, an earthly father. Bless all fathers as they care for their families. Give them strength and wisdom, tenderness and patience. Support them in the work they have to do, protecting those who look to them as we look to you for love and salvation. Through Jesus Christ, our rock and defender. Amen. Our opening hymn is found in your hymnals on page 144. This is my father's world. join together in our opening prayer. Loving God, you bless us in so many ways. You bless us through our fathers and through those who have been like fathers to us. And so today we share our gratitude and respect for these men and ask your blessings on the men who guide us, the men who protect us, the men who nurture us, the men who inspire us, the men who speak for us, the men who stand with us, 
the men who lift us up and push us forward. Amen. I would like to ask for the attention of the children this morning for children's time. Uh, This morning, we are going to hear a gospel lesson about a really bad storm that came up on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus and his disciples were on the Sea of Galilee in a boat. Now, the disciples were terrified. They were really afraid that they were going to drown, but Jesus was actually asleep. The storm didn't bother him at all. Now, all of us have storms in our lives, and sometimes they're terrifying. Um, When I was little, my parents tried everything to help me not be afraid of thunderstorms. I was afraid of thunderstorms, and they would tell me, oh, that's just clouds bumping into each other. Uh, I don't know when my fear of thunderstorms went away, but it eventually did. And then I remember having a a little dog who was terrified of thunderstorms, and and any time there was thunder and lightning, we had to turn on the dryer and sit next to the dryer, and I would hold him, and we would listen to the dryer instead of the, the storm. But storms come in other ways other than just through the weather. Sometimes, you know how storms are loud and, and bumpy and and and, well, loud again, they're just loud. And, and, and if you're driving, it can be hard to see. And sometimes in our lives, we have difficulty because something will challenge us. Something will become difficult for us. It will be kind of like a storm um, in that it will be hard to see. Uh, it may be feel kind of bumpy. It may feel like things are, are coming at us loudly. But One of the things that we learn in today's scripture lesson is that Jesus stills this particular storm. Jesus is with the disciples to comfort them. And in the storms of our lives, Jesus is with us as well. And we can find comfort in him and we can find strength in him in the middle of the storms of our lives. We are United Methodists. We just had our annual conference this weekend. And United Methodism was formed by, well, Methodism, the Methodist movement, was formed by a man named John Wesley, who was an Anglican priest. And he lived in England, and he came to the United States for the first time to be an evangelist. He was a terrible evangelist. He he thought that he came to convert the savages, and of course, there were no savages. They were just hardworking people trying to make a living off of the land. And he offended everybody and was asked to leave. And um, um, on the way back to England on the ship, there was a terrible storm, just terrible, terrible storm. And everybody was terrified. And, and John Wesley was convinced that the ship was not going to make it back to England. And he tried to move around the the ship, trying to find a place that was not heaving so violently in the waves. And he, in the middle of the ship, found a group of people, uh, Moravian Christians, who uh, were not bothered by this storm at all. They were not bothered one single bit by the storm. In fact, they were singing hymns. And... John Wesley, even though he was a priest, even though he was an evangelist, knew that he didn't have in his heart the kind of calm that they had. He was terrified. They weren't. They were singing hymns. He was just afraid. And so when he went back to England, the ship did, of course, make it. He knew that, that his faith was all in his head and not in his heart that he didn't have the kind of assurance and and sense of comfort and sense that God was in charge that he wanted to have. He had it in his head, but he didn't have it in his heart. And so he went looking for that experience and eventually found it. And once he found it, wanted to share it with everyone. And hence the Methodist movement was born. 
It is something that sometimes our fear makes hard or difficult for us to see, but we know from scripture and experience, we know from the experience of those who surround us in faith that it is true that Jesus is with us in the storms of life and will carry us through. So when you are afraid, try to trust Jesus more than you trust your fear. Thanks for listening. I look forward to being with you next Sunday. Well, now we have the wonderful honor of recognizing our graduates. And I am first going to ask that our high school graduates come forward. If Finley Underwood and Allie Lane would come forward. Um, Let's see. gather over here. Thank you. Hello. I am well. We want to congratulate you on your graduations from high school. Finley and Allie are well known to the congregation um, and they are both academic superstars and they are uh, sports superstars and um, exceptional exceptional in many ways. Um, They are scholarship recipients here at church. They are also um, leaders in mission and leaders in our mission trips. And we are grateful for the witness that you have had here at First United Methodist Church. Uh, Finley is a business owner. I've been trying to get a mask for a long time, by the way. Um, But you can find his website at utopiaco.us. And I understand that Allie celebrated her graduation by jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. So she had wanted to skydive, I guess, and you, you had to wait until you were 18, and then was it terrifying or fun? Oh, it, was amazing. it was amazing. For your parents, was it terrifying or fun? <laughs> <laughs> terrifying for them. Well, we wish you the very best as you uh, begin college in the fall. Allie will be going to Virginia Tech, and Allie, you have a lot of people here who, um, who are fellow alums, um, fellow Hokies. I don't know how, if there are as many uh, UVA folks, uh, but your pastor's a Wahoo, so that, that is a good thing. I also want to tell both of you that campus ministry, United Methodist Campus Ministry at the Wesley Foundations at Virginia Tech and at UVA are particularly strong. So I hope that you will check them out and get to know your campus ministers. They are both awesome people. Will you join me in congratulating Finley and Allie? Can you hang for just a second? Can you hang out for just a second? Okay. I'd also like to invite our college graduates to come forward. We have four college graduates. We have Parker Gunn. We have Lynn Dietrich. Lynn Dietrich is not with us because she is um, on call. She has a new job with the Forestry Service. Is that right, Forestry Service? Um, In Elizabethtown, North Carolina. Uh, We have Katie Ryan Snyder, who graduated from the University of Richmond Law School, if you would come forward. And Kate Dietrich, if you would come forward. I don't see Parker. Is he here? Nope, we will, we will save Parker's gift for him. We are so grateful that you are developing the wonderful, uh, wonderful gifts that God has given you, and we celebrate your graduations. Um, Kate has graduated from William and Mary, and she has a degree in kinesiology with a concentration in pre-med. And uh, Katie has graduated from the University of Richmond Law School. Now, Robert was telling me before the service that the first year of law school, they scare you to death. The second year of law school, they work you to death. The third year of law school, they bore you to death. But I doubt that's true because I suspect it's just hard all three years. But we are so proud of you, and this is for you. Um, We have, uh, for our, Parker graduated with a a master's in communications. 
from Purdue University. And what we have for all of our college graduates is a $25 gift card to the ground floor, which is a wonderful new coffee shop and gathering place down on, down on Church Street, First One North First Church Street. If you haven't been there, it really is wonderful. Uh, will you recognize or join me in recognizing our college graduates? And now will you join me in praying for all of our graduates? Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for our graduates. We thank you for their accomplishments. We are happy for them and proud of them and grateful that they are developing the gifts that you have so abundantly bestowed upon them. We thank you for their families, for surrounding them with love and support. We thank you for this faith community, which seeks to do the same, and we ask your blessing upon their future endeavors. May God go with them. May they know the love and care of this congregation, and may they know that you are walking beside them always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. The scholarship committee, the scholarship committee uh, would like to announce that we were able to give $4,000 scholarships to six students this year, Shane Spencer, Abby Lane, Allie Lane, Clark Givens, Finley Underwood, and Megan Withers. We thank you for these gifts, and we thank you for the ability to share them with those who are uh, furthering their educations. Uh, we are grateful for the gift of the scholarship committee, the gift of the scholarship fund, and the gifts that God has given to these individuals that they are using and developing faithfully. Let us now pray responsively our prayer for illumination. Open our hearts that the Holy Spirit may move through the reading of the word. Open our minds, that we may hear again the story of salvation. Open our doors, that all may know the love and grace of Christ. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is a very familiar text found in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, beginning with the 32nd verse. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircum uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God." David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor and he tried in vain to walk for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I am not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. 
When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the fourth chapter of Mark's gospel, beginning with the 35th verse. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Some people are really bothered by miracle stories in the Bible. The feeding of the 5,000, the raising of Lazarus, and this story. The story of the stilling of the storm. Because the biblical narratives describe a a physical reality in a way that they have not experienced it, they tend to view these narratives as fairy tales or worse, as stumbling blocks to belief. Some people turn them into allegories. Others believe them to be literal and factual and dream of one day when God will intervene in the physical realities of their lives in such a dramatic fashion. But a lot of people just stop listening. Things like that don't happen, they say. And there's nothing the preacher can say to make me believe it happened. So we stop listening and we hope that the service next Sunday centers on a text that makes more sense. Some folks have some fun with it. I can't tell you how many times people have said said to me, you must have some pull with the man upstairs. Can you say a prayer so that we'll have nice weather for my daughter's wedding or the playoff game or the race or the church picnic? I mean, every pastor has heard this about a thousand times. One of my friends says that his response is always, I'd love to help, but I'm in sales, not production. The difficulty is that theologically, there's a lot, of, there's a lot at stake here. What is the relationship of the creator to the creation? Can God intercede in natural processes? Or is is, um, that what God's sovereignty is about? And if so, then why doesn't God intercede more often? 
Or did God just set things up once and then just sits back and, and watches it? I mean, there's a classic theological image of God as a clockmaker. Did God set the world up like a clock and once in motion can't intercede in the processes that he has set in motion? I don't know. Sometimes I think that we have simple biblical narratives like this one to keep us from doing so much figuring. Some things just don't make sense. When my brother died, I refused to torture myself with the question why, because there's no answer that would have been good enough, no answer that would have made his death make sense. In our text for today, the disciples are similarly preoccupied with the crisis of the moment. They're in a boat on the Sea of Galilee when they find themselves out of control and scared to death. This night crossing had been Jesus's idea, and now of all things, he's just fast asleep in the stern. The Sea of Galilee is actually a lake that is surrounded by mountains, looking kind of familiar to most of us. And suddenly the wind picks up and the surrounding mountains act like a funnel. And, and, and suddenly the usually quiet lake is, is rolling and heaving with the, the rough and, and high waves overwhelming the disciples as they scramble to, to bail water and steer the boat into the waves. If they let it slip sideways parallel to the waves, when the, the boat will be swamped and will go down. Now, I've never been in this situation. I went to sailing school, and when I went to sailing school in Annapolis, they taught us what to do. If there were a bad storm, they taught us to take the sails down and, and to drop anchor and to go below deck while the tethered boat just gets pulled in circles by the storm. There's nothing you can do but, but ride it out. I once asked my father about whether he had seen 100-foot waves, like the waves in that movie, The Perfect Storm. And, and he said, yes, through a periscope, but in a submarine, you just submerge and all is calm again. I don't know how many storms the disciples had weathered. I mean, some of them were fishermen, and they'd probably been through some storms. They pop up on the Sea of Galilee, just like they pop up on the Chesapeake Bay and other places localized squalls that aren't in the weather forecast but can pop up really, really fast. I also don't know, because the text doesn't tell us, what they had with them. Did they have buckets or bowls or cups or were they using their bare hands to bail water? I don't know, but they're probably doing so frantically when Peter, probably, sees Jesus asleep and cries out, "'Teacher, don't you care if we're perishing?' And the text says that he woke up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And immediately the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. Calm until Jesus asks a disquieting question. Why were you afraid? Have you still no faith? That is the point where most of us get stuck. During my children's sermon, I talked about John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, who came to Georgia to, to convert the savages and found a pioneer people who were working really hard just to survive. And he was so obnoxious that he ended up having to leave the, leave the states because um, he, was, he was under a 10-count indictment. Um, and on the way home, there was a terrible storm, and he was terrified and found this group of Moravians in the belly of the ship just singing, singing hymns and, and knew that he had a faith problem. He had grown up in the Anglican church. He was the son of an Anglican priest and a devout mother. He had gone to Oxford, where he had been a part of a group, group self-named the Holy Club, in which they tried to explore and live out faith. He became a priest, he became a missionary, but when it came right down to it, he did not have the assurance and calm of those Moravian Christians in the ship during the storm. 
and he wanted that. He wanted that more than anything. It was not until some time later that Wesley had his Aldersgate experience, his experience of having his heart strangely warmed, the assurance he had so desperately sought and prayed for. He had once found himself in a situation where he was out of control and very afraid, an experience that he couldn't think his way out of. And in some way or another, the truth is we all have experiences like that. For my friend Rhonda, it came way back in the day of the shootings at Columbine High School. At the time, she had three school-aged children of her own and was suddenly jarred by the realization that as carefully as she worked, night and day to keep her children safe, there were some factors that were just beyond her control. And that realization struck her to the core. When we come to that same realization that we are scared to death and circumstances beyond our control do more than rock our boats but threaten to swamp them, I think these four questions are the ones that come to us. Where can I turn? Who can I trust? Who will anchor me in this storm? Who will be with me? My preaching professor at Candler School of Theology, Fred Craddock, reminded us once that water in the Bible symbolizes chaos and threat. In the beginning, before the beginning, the Bible says the earth was a formless void and it was all water. And God created by bringing order, by separating the water. The psalmists write about Leviathan, the sea monster that, that lurks in the deep. And when Moses leads the Israelite people out of slavery in Egypt, he does so by separating the water and leading them through the sea. The sea is seen as the dwelling place of demons. Now, we're sophisticated people, and, and we have a healthy respect for the water, but we don't believe that there are demons in it. As Craddock put it, when people jump off the high dive, we don't shout, look out for demons. But Craddock said, if they're not in the water, where are they? And he suggested that our demons are located where our fears are. Fear may be the demon, the enemy of all that is good and right and hopeful. When we act out of fear, we do sad and tragic things. Fear of loneliness, for example, can lead us to develop unhealthy relationships. Fear of intimacy can make us timid and cautious and emotionally unavailable. Fear of what might happen can lead us to lower our sights, pull in our hopes, live a fraction of the life that, that we are called to live. I begin the sermon by saying that a lot of people get tripped up by miracle stories. But I also have to tell you that the early church loved the story. They loved the story. In fact, one of the earliest symbols of the church is the ship. You are all currently sitting in the nave of the sanctuary, and nave is the Latin word for ship. The early church knew what it was to be a little boat in a stormy sea. Followers of Jesus were minorities in every city, and they knew persecution too well. The most powerful entity in the world, the Roman Empire, often hunted down and arrested and tortured and executed Jesus' early followers. The early church loved the story of the disciples in the boat and loved Jesus calming the storm. They heard in that story that they weren't alone in the boat and that the storm would not last forever. As Maya Angelou says, all storms run out of rain. They had each other and they had Jesus who was very much in the boat with them. 
His commitment to them produced calm and comfort and peace, even in the midst of the most violent of storms. We aren't in charge. We are subject to accidents and disease and death. Without warning, we can lose the people we love. We can lose our health. Some of us are rowing. Some of us are bailing water. Some of us are pulling down the sails. And some are singing hymns in the belly of the boat. Simply by being in the boat together, we can encourage one another and remind one another that there's someone in the boat with us, back there in the stern, quiet, but present with all the strength and courage and peace of God in him. The truth of this story, whether you view it literally or metaphorically, is that there is no storm, no threat, no form of chaos that can undo us or negate us or destroy us because Jesus is there with us. He is in the boat with us, and therefore, no matter what is going on, we are ultimately safe, though we may feel swamped with fear. I cannot think about this story without thinking about a former parishioner of mine named Doris. When I first came to the parish of which she was a member, it became readily apparent that Doris was afraid of death. She brought it up all the time. She brought it up in Bible study. She brought it up in conversation. She brought it up in fellowship time after church. She pretty much shared this fear of death with everyone she knew, and she shared it often. The thing was, she was in her late 90s at the time, and it was disquieting to see her not at peace with the reality of death. Even when she was 101 years old, she was still voicing this fear often and widely. But then something just changed. She became completely accepting of death, was completely at peace with it, decided to stop taking a medication that wasn't working anyway, and in a way almost seemed to be looking forward to death. It was a sea change, and the whole church saw it happen. How? How did it happen? Well, I think it happened because she was in a community of faith where no one tried to shush her expressions of fear and where people offered a constant and loving embodiment of response to those four questions. Where can I turn? Who can I trust? Who will anchor me in this storm? Who will be with me? And when she found the answers to those questions in the community of faith, she found peace. And every single member of that faith community had something to do with that. And every person, frankly, in every faith community has something to do with responding to these questions. That is who we are for one another in various ways as we remind each other that the Lord of the universe is in the boat with us. When the storm was over... The disciples looked at one another, and Mark says they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? It is Jesus, God's only Son, God's love, in the boat with us, and from which nothing, no storm, can separate us. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Let us pray. Loving and eternal God, we know what it is to be afraid. We know that there are storms throughout our world. We have but to pick up the paper or listen to the news to know that people are in situations that are very fear-producing, situations where they are not in control, situations that threaten to overwhelm them. We pray for your calm. We pray that you will still the storms. We pray that you will make your presence known to them. We pray this day for Jake as he begins treatment tomorrow and for Jill. We pray for those in our congregation who are recovering from surgeries. We pray for people who are lonely, who are fearful, who are desperate, who are angry, who are hurt. Help us to be a beacon of light in this community and beyond. May we seek to share your love in the world so that others will know of your love for them, feel it deep in their bones, and find the ability themselves to share it. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray each day, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I would like to thank Robert Lewis and Karen Turney for their work in creating a video collage celebrating our fathers.
now let us stand and affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. As forgiven and reconciled people, let us now return thanks to God with our gifts of tithes and offerings. Let us pray. Loving and eternal God, you have bestowed upon us such wonderful gifts. We have seen them in our midst. We have shared them with one another. We have celebrated them this day in the lives of our graduates and in the lives of our fathers and in the lives of those who have been like fathers to us. Help us to remember as we give our gifts that there is so much more to giving our gifts because you have been so generous with us. Let us share our abundance, the abundance of love you have given to us, our time, which we can invest in one another, our monetary gifts for the future of the church. We are just so grateful to be able to return thanks to you, to remember that we are but a part of your creation, and yet a responsible part that seeks to give you praise and thanksgiving for all things. Help us to be faithful, and may these gifts be used for the upbuilding of your kingdom. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let us now sing our closing hymn, 
found on page 710 in your hymnals, Faith of Our Fathers. may you go forth in peace to love and to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. And may the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you, rest with you, abide with you always. Amen.